chat What is going on, fellow chatters? Today on the show, I have a really awesome guest, Jake Gold. Jake has been in the music business for 40 years and managing great bands like the Tragically Hip. But what a lot of people don't know is that he has a great passion for tennis. And we get into that. The coffee that is along for the ride today is Folgers because nothing is better than a fresh brewed coffee at home. And now, here is my chat with Jake. Well, thanks for taking your time and sitting down with me, Jake. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of chat today about music business and a little bit about your love for tennis. So how are you doing today? Doing great. That's great. Everything's, everything's fantastic. Well, that is good to hear. Um, now, you've been someone who's been involved in the music business for the past 30 years, 30 plus years, and you've definitely well, almost seen... Almost 40. James. Almost 40. Well, well, I was, I was yeah. being kind. I guess I was being kind with 30. That's that's fine. I I I have nothing to hide about that. Now you've it, I'm, I'm happy. So. Now there has been definitely a roller coaster between uh, the the ride between when you started to now. What do you see the biggest difference between then and now for musicians? Well, I mean, you know, from a from a strict strictly from a musician standpoint, you know, it costs less to make records today. Musicians can make records in their homes there's a lot lot better technology to make records um they can easily get you know get distribution themselves through all the different uh sources and now spotify is even allowing you to upload your music directly like like soundcloud does um but you know what hasn't changed is you still got to be great you still got to be really good and you still need marketing support and you need tour support. And those are the things that, that's not cheap. And so what, what's actually really changed is the, there's less major labels. There used to be a lot more when, when I first started. Or let's just say bigger indies, because a lot of the majors swallowed up a lot of the big indies. Um, and so there's less access to that kind of backing and that kind of support and the labels aren't spending like they used to spend. You know, now you're seeing the major companies are doing, uh, are doing, you know, deals where they're, um, they're doing single deals or a three song deal or something like that. Where before, you know, you'd get an album deal. Well, what, yeah, I see that. Like I see that as, you know, it seems to be taking a little bit more of, you got to really get out there and market yourself. So now you talked about you talked about tools like SoundCloud and Spotify. Is that a benefit or does it take away from the artists where they're essentially giving music away for free? Well, remember, like back then we didn't make as much money off records anyways. The records cost a lot to record. Then you added in, um, you know, tour support, and you added in um, all the other costs involved. The royalty rates were very low, uh, so we never really made money off records. It took a lot of records to be sold before you actually saw any money from records. So, but the record companies would would put money into marketing, a lot more money into marketing and things like that, because there was a big upside for them if a record actually sold. So it actually helped build your live base a lot more. Uh, and back then, they didn't share in your live base, in your live revenue. They didn't share in your T-shirt revenue. Um, 
uh, and for that matter, a lot of cases they didn't share in your pub publishing revenue. Um, so now you have a situation where um, you're not really making money off your records, except that uh, except that you're not getting the same kind of marketing support that you used to get uh, from the labels if you do it yourself, because there is no marketing support unless you, you know, in Canada we're lucky enough to have grants and things like that, but it's still not the same kind of money that they used to spend on records, um, you know, in the days when they were making a ton of money off records. Now, what's really interesting is, um, you know, I recently saw a stat that the, the major record companies, you know, have generated, you know, billions of dollars in revenue from streaming and that they're at about 68% of what they were in revenue at the heyday of CDs. So let's just say they're, you know, 30% down in revenue from the heyday of CDs, which is when record companies were making the most money. But they don't have the cost to manufacture those CDs anymore. They don't have shipping costs. They don't have warehousing costs. They don't have any of those kinds of costs anymore. And they're spending less on marketing because, you know, they're not buying the full-page ads like they used to in newspapers. You know, th those kind of campaigns aren't the same. They're not doing the big television ads. So in some ways, they're probably better off on the net side. They're probably making more money than they did back then. But it almost seems but, like the, the, the marketing part is sort of pushed on the musicians more than the label. Well, if you're an independent, yeah. you have well, to. Yeah, of, you have, well, of course. You have no choice. I mean, that's that's the name of the game. Yeah. You know, and, they, and they're expecting you to do that, too. Any, any major record company is expecting you to do that, too. So as somebody, uh, as a manager of music and owner of a management company, what are some tips that you can give uh, independent artists who are kind of just starting out or have been plugging away, the best way for them to grow and prosper now in this sort of really sort of new age of social media as well as the ability to produce their own music? Well... Here's the thing, if, 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 if it's good, if it's really good, if it's amazing, then people will hear it and they will spread it. You know, we used to call that word of mouth. Now we have social media to do that. It's still word of mouth. And it still has to be good. So it's really about is it any good? You know what I'm saying? No, well, yeah, I understand. Well, of course. I mean, anything to be to to get up to that upper echelon does have to be good, but it also takes. You know, there is there are some you know music that may not be that great, but it can spur on a lot of people, a lot of gen uh, of uh, yeah. But it won't last. It well, won't last. No, 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 definitely not. No. Um. Now, in this day and age, where do like music labels and rec record companies fit as far as between the independent musicians and then the, the musicians who have been around for, for 10, 20 years? Well, you know, I, I think that, 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 you know, we're all interested in having longevity, right? I mean, that's, that's the main goal for me as a manager. I'm only interested in working with artists that, that are going to be around for a long time. I mean, at this point, a long time for me, I'll be 80, 85. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but that's still the goal. You know, yeah. the goal is to have a career. Yes. It's not, not, not to, you know, just have one hit, you know? Oh, for sure. For sure. But, and, but the, the key is to make sure that a, your music is good, but B also that you are getting out to where people are. And I guess the, the touring is sort of the most important part of, of being a musician these days. Yeah, but it always was. This is my point. Yeah. It's like, you know, in the heyday of of the years where I worked with the Tragically Hip, and, you know, I worked with them for 18 years, um, at the heyday of the Tragically Hip, uh, they made probably 90% of their money from touring and T-shirts. So essentially it hasn't really changed. It's only where the, the actual music is being played on or being streamed. From. Listen, there's all kinds of uh, opportunities um, for artists today to distribute their own music. It still has to be amazing. Well, definitely. Now, I do have one question. Hopefully, it won't uh, tip anyway. But it's it does have your you do with your involvement with Canadian Idol. Right now, do you think that show would have the same success today as it did? during its six-year run when it ended in 2008? Um, you know, I think that TV viewership is down, but if you look at, you look, you look at the things that are actually doing well on TV, it's the live destination type television. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's like the, the ones that, you know, you need to know the results of, right away or else it's going to be spoiled for you exactly kind of like so and i so so i think in that case for those kinds of things um the show will, will would probably do as well as it ever did um and you know people have to remember that um you know ours was a summer show and generally summer viewership is way lower than it is in the winter yeah. Um, and and we were still doing, you know, almost two million a show all the time. Well, I couldn't miss a show. <laughs> right. So, well, thank you. But so I think that in that case, um, that's the uh, that's that's kind of where I think it would be. I think it would still do well if it was a winter show it would do even better. Now, just to take you away from music, I know you have another love, which is tennis, which is definitely quite evident on Twitter if uh, people were to follow you. Uh, I think every third tweet is about tennis, almost. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as far as Twitter goes, between that and, you know, my political uh, my political yes. um, <laughs> pers um, penchant. But no. we don't we we don't have to go off. No, there. no, we'll, follow, we'll follow stay, me on Twitter if you want to we'll, see. We'll stay with tennis, and uh, maybe we might. Well, we might make some people mad talking about tennis. Now, where do you see Canadian tennis right at this moment? Well, I don't think it's ever been better uh, in a better better place. Um, you know, we have two. We have you know uh, Milos Raonic, who's still doing really well. Uh, he won today. So it looks like he's in the quarterfinals in uh, Tokyo, um, and then we have Dennis, Dennis Shapovalov who who beat Stan Wawrinka today, 
and Dennis um, is 19 years old, and he's in the quarterfinals. And in fact, um, it looks like him and Milos, if they both win their next matches, are going to meet in the semi. It, it always uh, seems and then to be we, that way. And then we have and we have Felix FAA coming up, who's you know who's 18 years old, who could be better than both of them. Oh yeah, like it, it's amazing, especially like like watching watching you know the. the watching the open just this past summer and just seeing the the amount of good tennis that Canadian that Canada is producing now talking about those three who do you see winning the first grand slam for Canada in the single side i will say ooh that's a tough one you know i think you know if you look at if you look at the uh um if you look at the big 4 or the big 3 or the big 5 um you know, because I think you have to include uh, Juan Martin Del Potro in there. If it wasn't for his injuries, he probably would have had a whole bunch of Grand Slams by now. Um, you know, he won his first one when he was 19 when he beat Roger Federer. So I I think that um, it's going to take some time for those guys to kind of either get older or retire. So it I don't I don't see it as being Milos. I don't see him because he's already 27, going to be 28. But I think um, a big part of it is injuries, and unfortunately, it just seems whenever he's just on that cusp, it just he gets a setback, and then he has to almost start over. Right. And it's um, I mean it's frustrating as a fan. It's like you you just want to sit there and cheer, and then all of a sudden it's like oh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have my own opinions on on uh on him. Um I think that uh that um I think that uh Dennis and Felix, especially Dennis, uh Dennis can get more focused uh when he plays. Sometimes he tends to go a little bit off the rails, but like today in the first set, his, you know, he had a lot of unforced errors and then he turned it around in the second and third set. Um I, you know, I was up really early at like 5:30 watching uh, Milos and the Milos's match, and then watching Dennis's match right after. Um, but I think that that Dennis, because of his age, may actually be the one that wins the first Grand Slam for Canada. And I think um, him being 19, like, yes, he does. You I'm know, saying, like, in another yeah. three, four years. Oh no, no, years, I'm not, but I'm saying, like, with him at 19 right now, yes, he does have a little bit of flare-ups during matches. But I think you know he's got a you know a few years to sort of grow and learn how to control that on the court, and then he can take on the top. Yeah, oh. um, I I think he's got a shot. I think Dennis is is the one that can. Uh, will be the first one. I don't see it being Milos. I see it as being Dennis. Yeah, and I, I think Dennis um, has got that flair. He just, he just has that. Well, listen, flair doesn't win you. Well, grand no, slams. no, but he's no, he does. It doesn't win you grand slams, but he does have that flair. Like you can see him. I'll tell you what he has. He has a he has a great forehand, and he has a great lefty serve. And me being a lefty, I'm kind of um, um, uh, uh, predisposed to like lefties. But the fact is, is if you look over the history of Grand Slam winners, that 40% of them have been won by lefties, of which they probably only make up 10% of the population and 10% of tennis players. That's an astronomical number in terms of, uh, of how it tips the scale. 
and lefties have an advantage. And if you read Brad Gilbert's book, uh, Winning Ugly, he, he talks about it in his, in his uh, book about how lefties have an advantage in tennis. And there's two reasons. Some say it's how lefties see the court, that they see it because their right brain thinkers see it more in a, uh, a, a macro way. But it's also because more points are won on the ad side than on the more games are won on the ad side than the deuce side. And the lefty slice serve that takes the takes the opponent out wide on the ad side is lethal. And I watched uh, Dennis do that today against Stan where Stan couldn't do anything with the serve. Anytime he went wide on the ad, Stan couldn't do anything with it. And if he did punch it back, it floated back, and the next shot Dennis put away. And would the would the and, ball float different uh, coming from the left-hand side? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and think about it. You know, yeah. righties don't play lefties yeah. that often. Yeah. So it's, it's coming from a different angle. It's a different spin. Everything's different. You know, if you, you know, players, tennis players get into patterns. So if you see, you know, if you're into a pattern where you're always hitting to the righty's backhand, well, guess what? You're hitting always to the righty's, to the lefty's forehand, which is generally their dominant shot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, do you see um, with tennis, it seems to be tennis mostly where, sort of anyone shows a bit of promise there seems to be a lot of pressure to a win in canada and b to to win in the on the world circuit um well listen canada's always you know for a long time been trying to to compete in that way and now we have some players you know and it takes time to to build a tennis culture um, I think that, you know, the same way I see that soccer is on the rise in Canada because, you know, as the population um, becomes, uh, you know, sort of less, you know, white Canadian and becomes more diverse, there's more cultures that are into soccer than, than other sports. So we're starting to see the rise of soccer, you know, basketball's grown in a huge way and, and, and especially soccer, soccer and basketball are not expensive sports to play compared to, you know, playing organized hockey, mm -hmm. which is an expensive sport. You know, tennis still has to overcome the the stigma that it's, you know, a rich, a rich person's sport. Um, and, you know, Tennis Canada is, you know, doing their best to try and, you know, bring it to the playground. Um, well, well, I mean, I... Because again, yeah, go ahead. I, I take my daughters just down the street to a tennis court and we play. Right, you know, so. but 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 to, to but to get yeah. into yeah. the uh, to, to get into the you know lessons and yeah. you know you got yeah. you know, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah. Now, when I have a guest on, I like to to do a little thing called the Fast Five. It's five questions. First thing that comes to your mind, spit it out. Favorite musician, okay. favorite musician that you have worked with. That I have worked with. Yes. Oh, Gord Downey. Do you wear your tennis whites during Wimbledon? No, but I do <laughs> wear a Wimbledon hat. Poutine or pizza? Pizza. Favorite beer or alcoholic drink? Um, tequila. Prefer Casamigos Blanco. Even a even a brand. Favorite place to pick up a shot of Java? 
Um, my kitchen. Hey, you're the second one to say his kitchen. Well, Jake, thanks very much for dropping in and taking time and chatting about music and tennis. Uh, where can we find you on the internets? Um, you can reach me at uh, on Twitter. I'm at Jake0458, Jake Gold. Same on Instagram, although uh, my Instagram's private. So, um, And my company's uh, Management Trust, which is mgmtrust.ca. Well, thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks, Jason. Bye-bye. Bye. I would like to thank Jake Gold for chatting with me, and thanks to you for tuning in. And you can contact me on Twitter, at Jason Perrier. That's at Jason, P-E-R-R-I-E-R. And use the hashtag, chance to chat with, if there is someone who you want me to chat with. Until we chat again, I'm out.